Tonight we're here for a reason, and that is to talk about Christmas Eve and about this, this story. And I don't know if you guys got to see our promotional material or not, but it's kind of something different, an interesting take on the um, whole kind of Christmas Eve story or, you know, compared to what maybe some people would do. But this, this story, most of us have probably heard many times. But what I am kind of want to ask you to do is take a step back from that tonight and maybe listen to it with a, with a fresh set of ears. If you can do that with me tonight, I think maybe you'll hear something different than what you've always heard. Because a lot of us maybe have heard this story before. Probably most of us have been to a church service uh, around Christmas time before. But I'm going to take it just a little bit different of a look. If you guys had Bibles and you wanted to turn with me, although it's a little dark tonight, or you can trust me and we're going to have some words up here on the screen. I want to read this passage out of the Bible, and it's in Luke. And it's a story um, starting in Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, and this is what it says. I'll read it for you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, stop for a second, Elizabeth was um, the mother of John the Baptist. So some clarification for you, okay? But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby, that, uh, baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The story um, we've probably heard before, but when you take it in its real context, it has a, a lot more implications than maybe you think about just by reading it for its face value. First and foremost, Mary would be a very young girl. In this society, in this time, the girls who were getting married at this time, being pledged to be married, most likely, girls, she was probably 13, 14 years old. That's pretty realistic for that area of the world, and that time frame. So a young girl, she's very young, in fact. Not just that, too, but she was pledged to be married to Joseph, and there's a lot wrapped up in this, if you actually think about it, okay? First and foremost, this whole pledge to be married thing was actually a lot bigger of a deal than just engagement. Um, Is anyone engaged in the room right now? Yeah? No. The only one who I think is engaged in our church is downstairs teaching your children right now, if you have kids downstairs. Gina is engaged, and I think Kyle is helping down there as well tonight. Do we have, do we have an engaged couple? Yes? Okay, good, yeah. Well, congratulations, guys. Good job, yeah, absolutely. But see, in the United States, when we're engaged, it's, it's a promise, right? It's a, we plan on getting married. That's what engagement means. In, in this culture, it was far more. In fact, you couldn't break an engagement without getting a divorce, 
That's what engagement meant. This, this promise to be married was really like a betrothal, and it was like a legal agreement already that you were engaged to be married, and then you would become married. But it was a really big deal. It wasn't just like he had said, hey, I want to I make you my wife. They were like locked into this, and it was, it was secured. The reality is, is, is for Joseph to walk away from Mary, he would have divorced her. But the crazy thing is this. Mary shows up to Joseph, and she drops this bomb on him. I'm pregnant. And of course, Joseph is going, wait a second. Nothing's happened here, okay? And Joseph is obviously, I think, a little bit taken back. In reality, she says, I'm pregnant. And he says, listen, we've only held hands on the second date, so nothing else happened, so it isn't mine. So what's the situation? And Mary explains to him that an angel came and explained that she was going to have the Son of God. Can you just, can we stop being super Christians for a second, and step back from this. What do you think ran through Joseph's mind? Really? (laughs) Really? You're pregnant, but yeah, you didn't sleep with another guy. God did it. That (laughs) That sounds really feasible. And my guess is this is what went through Joseph's mind. He thought, man, this woman cheated on me. I was engaged to be married to this woman, and we were supposed to be together, and she cheated on me. And now she's pregnant with another man's son. Well, God comes to Joseph, because Joseph was actually considering divorcing her. The reality is the situation is, in their culture at this time, Joseph could have came forward and said, my wife is pregnant, and they would have stoned her to death in that culture. Because she was caught in adultery then, because she was pregnant, and she wasn't with his son, He could have easily been a very, very tough man. He could have came out and said, she slept around, she's not with me, and they would have stoned her to death. But Joseph was a good man, and Joseph was actually planning on giving her an extremely quiet divorce. He was planning on slipping away, letting her go off and have this son, and he was just going to divorce her, not say much, and just move on because he figured this is some other man's child. Well, in this, because he was actually praying about it, God actually sent an angel again to explain the situation to him. And the angel came back and explained to Joseph, no, Mary is pure. She hasn't cheated on you. She hasn't went behind your back. The story she's telling you is real. She's going to birth the Messiah. And everyone at this time knew about this Messiah because the Messiah is, is a term that was prophesied in the Old Testament for, for years upon years upon years about that sooner or later this one person would come and that he would free the Jewish people from all of the tyranny, all the persecution that they would have, and kind of set the record all straight. And they all knew about this Messiah. And he says that Mary is carrying the Messiah in her womb. She's carrying the, the Son of God, and that he's coming. And Joseph believes. He, ta- he takes and, and steps forward and actually basically steps in as an adoptive father for this child. In between this time, Mary actually goes and she meets with Elizabeth, who was her cousin, um, who is mentioned in the story as well, too. And Mary was pregnant, six months pregnant, with John, who was John the Baptist. And if you read a little bit farther in the story, I'm telling you, man, read the Gospels. They're crazy stories. Even if you're not a Christian yet, read the Gospels. Amazing stories. Amazing stories. But John is actually the man who gets to usher in the way for Christ when he actually starts preaching and teaching in in the society. And it was actually his cousin, believe it or not. Mary walks into the room, and it says that when she walks into the room, John the Baptist leaps inside of his mother's womb. 
because he knows that the Messiah is in his presence. And it says that when, when Jesus comes into the room, that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins singing prophecy because the Messiah is in their presence. I mean, some miraculous stuff that starts happening. And maybe, my guess is, is even, even though Mary heard from an angel, I mean, don't you think you'd still just have weird doubts and thoughts in this? And I think these were things that really, it actually says in some of these verses, that it says Mary, like, she, she kept these things in her heart as it goes on and tells you the story about Jesus. And I think that was a, a reoccurring thing that she would kind of just hold on to these things and think, man, this is, this is real. The story actually continues in, in Luke 2, and I'm going to read this for you too. Um, she goes ahead and she carries the child, and Joseph stays with her, believing that she really is carrying the Son of God. And in uh, Luke 2, this is how the story continues, starting in verse 1. At this time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. A lot of that stuff, if you ever read the Bible and you see all those things and you're like, man, this is boring, it is boring unless you are trying to place this in history. The cool thing is, is that's a real time, those are real people, and those are real kings. You can go back outside of the Bible and you can find those people in history. It shows the fact that this is a real story that coincided with real kings. It says this, All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judah, uh, Judea, excuse me, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who is now obviously pregnant. So she's coming along in pregnancy. They had not gotten married because they were waiting until she birthed this son to get married. And it says, while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of uh, cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So as the story goes, they have to go back. And basically, every so often, there'd be this census. And how you would, you would register is you'd have to go back to the place where your, your ancestors came from, and you would have to go, and they would count you, and they'd take track of how many people were in this empire. But when they go there, it comes time that, that she's going to have this child. And I know you guys have probably all heard the cute Christmas stories about how there was no room in the manger and how they went... I mean, it wasn't room in the inn, and they went to the manger and all this different stuff like that. Interesting fact for you guys, the place where Jesus was actually born is actually really a cave. It was a, a nook inside of a rock where they would lay, and they would have, um, like, cattle and stuff like that go in to get out of the rain. It wasn't like some, you know, lean-to like we always see out front of churches. It was most likely actually a stone um, carved-out area. But... Jesus is born, and he is. He's born, and he's laid in a feed trough inside of this, this cave. And at this moment, we see this, this miraculous thing happen. God, born into human form. God, born into human form. A child that was only half Mary's. It wasn't Joseph's at all. That came from the Lord, mixed with her, was born to this earth as the Lord. I want to have you catch just a few things from who Jesus is, okay? Just a few quick things. First and foremost, the fact that, that Jesus was so divinely conceived. When we think about it, it's actually miraculous. And, and real quickly, you can look at it and you can say, really, you know, couldn't this all just be a, a farce? But when you start looking at it, there's so more. First and foremost, the fact that she, he, was, he was born of a virgin. And it talks about how he did not marry this woman. And you'd say, oh, yeah, but doesn't that just seem like that could be all bunk too? 
But the reality is Jesus in his birth alone fulfilled multiple prophecies that were written thousands upon thousands of years before his birth. Miraculously. And you say, well, maybe it was all this. But no, I mean, some of this stuff. In Isaiah 7.14, written hundreds of years before, it said that the Messiah would come by a virgin birthing him. In Micah 5.2, it literally says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. How would Jesus work that one out? He didn't have any way to tap on Mary's inside of her being like, hey, go to Bethlehem. That's where I'm supposed to be born. I mean, if people think that he was all like some sort of flim-flam man, you know, he had all this stuff worked out, and later on he fixed the books. I mean, you can't fix that stuff. Not only that, but in Hosea 11, uh, 1, it talks about how the Messiah would escape from Egypt, and the same thing happened where all the boys were killed in this area, and Jesus had to escape into Nazareth. Even going to Nazareth was actually part of the prophecy. All these prophecies about him that he had no control over because he was still in the womb, completely beyond his control. Not only that, but as crazy as it sounds, even his adoptive father was prophesied. It says in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to be born from the lineage of David. And David was the, the big-time king. If you go back in the Old Testament, David was like this, this high point in the Bible of kings. And it talks about how his line for the rest, of the rest of the universe would always be, because all the way back when he was there, they said, David, you'd be blessed. And basically they said, the Messiah is going to come through your bloodline. It was Joseph, who wasn't actually his father, but was his adoptive father, was part of that lineage. And even his adoptive father was prophesied that he would be from the lineage of David. It's miraculous. These things he had no control over. He had no ability to change, and they all fulfilled countless prophecies that were told thousands of years previous. When you pair that with what he did on earth, this question, who's the baby daddy? Who's the baby daddy, right? That I'm sure Joseph had, I'm sure everyone had. But when you pair those things together, the response that comes back, when you you ask it, it becomes clear. This baby's father is God and God alone. No man birthed this child. He came from something far beyond just another man with Mary, but he came from God. He is the son of God. Another interesting thing about him is this. Jesus was the son of God, and yet he was born in the most humble circumstances. Think about it. Born as a human, to be taken care of by human hands. Joseph was a carpenter. We know that by reading the, reading the story on, because Jesus learned how to be a carpenter, and they would learn their father's trades. He was lowly, and we know the fact that as a carpenter, they were poor too. Because they went to go and um, when they had a kid, you would present an offering. And they presented two doves. And two doves was for poor people. Rich people had to bring an entire calf, basically. And they were poor. Jesus was born into a poor family. Mary was a young girl. Joseph was just an average man. He was born in a cave. He was led in a feed trough. He needed an adoptive father. Not just that, but God. God came to earth in human form. It's miraculous. We know the fact of this, though. Even though Joseph was an average man, he came from a royal lineage, back from the king of David. But we saw from day one, as Jesus was born on this earth, he never meant himself to be a king only for the powerful or the rich or the educated or the perfect. He was a king for the poor, 
He was a king for the average, the below average, the lonely, the hurting, the lost, the angry, the addicted, the abandoned. From day one, that's how he started off his, his entire life here on earth, <clears throat> was being born in the most humble means so that he could be right in amongst those who needed him the most. But what's awesome is that the story did not end there because we, we can take a, a quick look at this picture of, of who Jesus is. And a lot of people do that. They'll talk to you a little bit about this, this birth of Jesus, but his, his birth is, is just this tiny little tip of an iceberg on, on what happened in his life. I mean, the rest of his, the story, it literally says in the, in, in the Gospels that if everything Jesus did was penned, there wouldn't be enough paper or enough ink in the entire world to write it down. There wouldn't be enough room for it. And as you read on, the stuff that he did is miraculous. Man, he, he grew. He didn't stay a little boy. He grew up, and he became a man. And at the age of around 30 years old, he started healing, and he started teaching, and he completely shook up an area. He led 12 men to, to fall basically head over heels in love with this guy and believe in him and know that he was the Messiah to generate something that has gone far beyond him. I mean, can you think about the fact that this one man, this one man, born on the other side of the earth. We're talking about him here tonight. And thousands of other churches are talking about him tonight too. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches talking about him tonight. He lived, he healed, he did not sin, and at age 33 he went and was murdered on a cross. I know a lot of people are like, well, that's not Christmas. That's before Easter. I understand that part of his story. It's part of his story. He grew up and he sacrificed himself. And the story is that he was murdered on the cross and three days later he broke free from the grave. He was buried and his body disappeared. He resurrected and then he came back and met with whole groups of people and he showed the fact that he had beaten death because he was the son of God and he could not die. The story is absolutely miraculous but the story's still not over. It still keeps going. It says he went to heaven. He says, I'm coming back. There's a thousand different things I could tell you tonight, but that's not everything that I can. We could sit here for all night, but I know we all have places to go, and we're all going to get hungry before long. But what I want you to learn tonight isn't just those key things about Jesus. It's this. What I want us to actually learn our lesson from tonight is from Mary, which I know is, is kind of interesting. Mary was an absolutely amazing woman. And in verse 128, Gabriel actually calls her favored woman. But she was still just a woman. She was still just a woman in need of a savior. She says, I am the Lord's servant. She needed a Messiah. Her son wasn't the same as her. Her son was the one and only Messiah. And she trusted in him for her salvation as well, too. I want us to learn our lesson from Mary this Christmas Eve service. And it comes from this small statement that she said in verse 38. And this is what it is. She says, let it be with me just as you say. Let it be with me just as you say. That's actually the message version. In the KJV it says, be it unto me. Well, every way you say it, I like it that way. Let it be unto me just as you say. God sent Gabriel to come and tell her that he had a plan for her life. 
He had this plan for her to go through, and he had this, this purpose for her. And she was scared. It says that she was scared. But when he explains it, what she says is she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be in me just as you say. I have to say this. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world. It definitely wasn't for her. It was a tough road to walk, definitely, for her to be able to do this. I mean, the uncertainty with Joseph, I'm sure the criticism from those around her. But God says, I want to be part of your life. And she said, let it be in me, just as you say. I want you to understand this from this picture of Mary. God wants to be in your life, just as he did in Mary's. John 3.16, it's a verse that's been talked about tons and tons of times. But I think it almost gets, it gets left out because we don't ever talk about the verses right after it, which are just as miraculous. It says this in John 3.16 uh, through 21. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. The story of Jesus Christ isn't just the story of a small baby. It's the story of a God who loved people so much that he scheduled a rescue mission. That's what that verse says in John three sixteen through 21. It says that his people that he knew were lost. He found a way to come himself to this earth, sending his son Jesus Christ to come here. And it was a rescue mission. That's why he came. Not so that we could celebrate Christmas and have presents. There was a bigger purpose. Romans 6.23 puts it this way. It's really, really easy to understand. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says this. All of us, every one of us being on this earth, we all fall short of what's the best. I mean, none of us would be arrogant enough to raise our hand and say, no, we did everything perfect, right? No, all of us have fallen short of what perfection is in our life. We've all made mistakes. We've all treated someone you know, improperly. We've all done poor things. And it says the problem is, though, is in this world, the laws of the universe say that for all those sins, all those works that we do that, that are, are sinful, at the end of our life, our paycheck is death. And it's going to come. And we have to cash that check. The wages of all those sins is death. But God says that the the gift, and gifts, see, they're free. They're free. You're going to get a bunch of them tomorrow, right? And you didn't pay anything for them. I hope there's no implication to them. Hopefully gifts are exchanged freely in your house, not that you give a gift and I receive a gift and they better be about the same value or I'm going to be angry at you. (laughs) A, A gift is given freely. Freely. And excitedly, I can tell you that even as excited as I am to open some of my gifts, I'm far more excited to see my family open the gifts I got for them this Christmas. Can anyone agree with me on that? I'm more excited to see them open the gifts that I had given them. And God says that the gift 
of God is eternal life. And it comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, the situation is, is that all of us and all of our, our debt that we rack up in our life, all of our sin debt, it has to be paid. But what God did is he sent himself in Jesus to come. And it says he lived a perfect life here on earth. So when the time came for him to die, guess what? He couldn't die. Because death is only brought by sin. So the only way that Christ could die was to take someone else's sin and pay for it. And it says that since he was God and he was perfect, he took all of the world's sin, all of it that's sitting on you and all of it that's sitting on me, and he took all of it and carried it to the cross, and he marked it paid with his death. And he beat death in that one moment. And he says, now if you trust me and you believe in me, you don't have to pay that death. I paid it for you. You can experience life. That was what his whole birth was about. To just talk about his birth and not talk about the end, it would be terrible. I know that he'd probably yell at me if he was here. If he was sitting on the front row, he'd cuff me in the back of the head. See, the, the birth wasn't the point, man. It was part of the story, but it was, it was page one. It was about the whole story. That's why I came. And to just tell you about the birth would be, would be shortchanging you because that was the point. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus, or maybe the reality is, is you've been far away for a long time. There's a story in the Bible about a man who used to know his father, and he walked so far away. And it talks about him returning and the father welcoming him back. And it could be the same situation with you. Maybe you had something in the past in your life, but maybe you have been far away from God for a very long time. Come back. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus, and I can't possibly think of a better time to start a relationship with Jesus than in celebration of the beginning of this rescue mission that he started here on earth 2,000 years ago. God wants to be in your life just as he wanted to be in Mary's, and all your response needs to be is as simple as hers was. Let it be. It says this in Romans 10, 9 through 11, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. If you do not know Jesus, all you need to do is believe in that, that sacrifice and confess with your mouth, he is Lord, let it be. But secondly, if you say, you know what, I, I have a relationship with Jesus, and I know him, then the second part of this is, is perhaps a little more harsh, but it's for you. God wants to write your story. God wants to write your story just as he did with, with Mary. Let me tell you, I don't think Mary would have chose to carry Christ if she could have. Because, see, it's easy to read that story, and then you think, well, she had this kid, and he was the Messiah, and it all turned out great. But the reality is, for the rest of their life, Joseph walked around, and people behind his back, as men, probably said he was a fool. And when Mary walked by, women probably whispered behind her, she's a slut. She cheated on her husband. Do you think they really all thought that, she, that he was the Messiah? No, you look at the people. Very few believed that Jesus was the Messiah at that time. And for the rest of her life, she had to walk with people saying bad things behind her back. And Joseph, the same thing, that they would probably look at them and they would make fun of them and they'd say, look at those people. Man, what failures 
But they had to carry that because that was God's, God's story for them. God had a plan for their life. And although in the short run, man, it probably looked a lot more painful, it was because there was something great to come out of it. They didn't know that their story was going to become so amazing. I'm sure in the moments when they were in it, it probably felt terrible sometimes. I'm sure there were plenty of times that they were really, really hurt. But who would know that their story would become so miraculous and tonight we'd be retelling it about their faithfulness. Tonight, if you are a Christian and you have a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you that Christ has a specific call for your life. I believe that every single person who starts a relationship with Jesus, there's something that God's going to ask you to do that he's not going to ask anyone else to do. There's something that you're supposed to do and you're supposed to do and you're supposed to do that I'm not called to do. There's someone who you're supposed to reach and you're supposed to reach and you're supposed to reach that I'm never going to be able to. There's a specific call for your life. It says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for you just as he had for Mary and Joseph. And it is worth it, even if it makes us be an outsider, even if it causes some disgrace, even if it causes people to make fun of us and talk about us behind our back. Your prayer tonight, if you're a Christian and you are met with that reality, needs to be, let it be. God, let it be. Back in the 1970s, some of you guys are still in that age bracket. Some of you guys just listen to that type of music. There was this pretty influential band named the Beatles. I don't know if you ever heard them on or not. Kind of abstract, not really big deal. But Their last big recorded album was entitled Let It Be. And one of the main songs on the track was their title track, Let It Be. And it talks about Mary whispering words of wisdom to him in the hard times. And what I want to do is I want to rewrite this story in your mind tonight. See, some would think that what it's a story about is that Mary comes and she offers a solution. But see, all Mary comes and offers the same word that she did here. This is where the story comes from. If we go back to that verse 38 when she was met with the reality of Christ, her response, let it be with me just as you say. I pray that when you hear that song from now on, and you hear that term, Mary says, let it be. In the song, it actually says, there will be an answer. Let it be. What she's saying is that let it be is trusting in her son, Jesus Christ, for salvation, for your story. Tonight, I want to offer you just a few quick things, and if you'd like to... um, just to give the people around you some honor, if you'd like to bow your heads for a second, just close your eyes um, for the people around you, not necessarily for you, but for whoever might want to respond. If tonight you would say this, listen, I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need to start one. Maybe I've never, ever had a relationship with Jesus, or maybe I once knew him, but I have been far away for so long. If that's you and you say, listen, my prayer tonight is let it be. I want that relationship with Jesus, and I want him to change my life and pay for my sin. Just go ahead and lift up your eyes, look at me, and raise your hand so I can catch eyes with you. It's really simple. Yeah, I see your hand. Anyone else today? Anyone else? Just go ahead and lift up your head, look me in the eyes, catch my attention. Anyone else? 
Okay, and what I want us to do is let's pray tonight all together, okay? Let's just pray a simple prayer, and it goes like this. You repeat after me as we pray. Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become my Lord. Let it be. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. For any rest of you guys, too, I just want to give you this, okay? You can close your eyes one more time. If there's any of you that say, I'm a follower of Christ, but I have not necessarily let God write my story, and you would say, tonight, God is working on me, and I want to issue that prayer, let it be. And that's you. You don't even have to open your eyes. Just raise your hand. Okay, and just we're just doing this for God to see it. Okay, I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna take down your names or nothing like that. You raise your hand if you want God to see your hand tonight. Okay, and I just want to pray over you real quick. Okay, Jesus, I pray to you that you would influence these stories. And as people raise their hand and say, God, I want you to write my story, just as you did Mary's, and I'm willing to do it, even if perhaps it causes some people to talk bad about me or talk behind my back. Our prayer tonight, let it be. I just thank you so much for tonight. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.